Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, the apostles never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip. Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles, who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. And uh, Heavenly Father, we do pray that this morning you would help us to be devoted uh, to your word. Please keep us from distraction and we pray that your word would do your work in our hearts and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, please do sit down as you are sitting down. If you could be turning back to Acts chapter 6, that's page 1098 in the church Bible. So there's also a handout amongst the papers you were given on the way in. You can use that to follow along if you wish. You can see I put on the, on the handouts that uh, driving while distracted is the new DUI. That is, uh, it's sometimes deadly, as deadly, we're told, as driving under the influence of alcohol. And nonetheless, apparently 37% of drivers in the United States submit to sending or receiving text messages while driving. Other things are dangerous distractions when you're driving too. Driving, you'll know that driving while uh, on a mobile, so receiving a call, is illegal. Uh, eating while uh, driving is also apparently dangerously uh, distracting, uh, as is uh, changing the radio or your, your GPS, uh, reading a map, uh, applying makeup, um, brushing your hair, or browsing the internet. Uh, I once discovered that it's, um, it's, it's actually quite a dangerous distraction to lean out of the window and uh, look backwards uh, to check that you've put the fuel cap back on um, <laughs> after you left the garage. Uh, I didn't do that again. I suppose we could add to the list of distractions, couldn't we? Potential distractions. Driving with children in the car, especially uh, children arguing about what story CD to put on next. Driving with a passenger who can't read a map. Driving uh, with a passenger who is angry because she thinks you think she can't read a map. (laughs) But she is pretty sure that she can read a map better than you can. Uh, The list is uh, potentially endless, isn't it? When we're driving, we know that it's important to keep focused, to keep alert, to keep looking at where we're heading. 
and avoiding all kinds of distraction. Likewise, we've been learning from the book of Acts to keep ourselves from distraction, to keep focus, the importance of keeping focus, focus indeed on what God is doing in the world. Uh, Over this series, our confidence has been boosted in many ways at every step. And uh, we should be able to see now at the end of the series just how dangerous it would be to be distracted from that. Our confidence in Jesus has been boosted throughout. Our confidence in his apostles have been strengthened at, at every turn. Our confidence in the word has been reinforced over and over again. That is our confidence in the apostles' testimony about Jesus. You can see it there at the end of chapter 5. Uh, their testimony as they went into the temple courts and from house to house, never stopping teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. And we've seen the power of that word in many ways, the power of that word to cut into people's hearts and change their minds, make them disciples of Jesus. The power of that word to save people, the unique power of that word to save people. Uh, And the power of that word to overcome numerous obstacles under the provident sovereignty of God. When the establishment has opposed it, well, the word has simply grown and multiplied. Uh, When problems within the community of disciples have threatened the growth of the word, problems of sin and lies and greed, well, even that has been overcome. So you get to chapter 6, of Acts though that this time the obstacle is rather more subtle and uh, you can see it is the problem of distraction we've seen huge amounts in Acts to show us that we shouldn't be distracted from what God is doing through his word Uh, like car drivers we can see the importance of not being distracted but just as car drivers still take calls while driving still send texts while driving Well, in the Christian life and in Christian ministry, we too can still get distracted. Distraction is indeed a powerful enemy, a powerful weapon against us, easily underestimated. You'll know that in military thinking, distraction has always played a role. You attack in one place with a small force and then attack with your main force elsewhere once your opponent's resources have been diverted Uh, there's a moment in one of the naked gun films when someone's trying to get past a security guard into the Oscars and she tries all sorts of things first with no success but then she tries this she tries distraction Uh, she hands the guard a piece of bubble wrap and that is what does the trick so fixated is he on popping those bubbles that she can walk straight in And that is the kind of strategy that Satan is using at this point in the book of Acts. He's tried brute force against the apostles. He's tried greed and bribery, all with little success so far. So now he turns to his most powerful and most subtle weapon, and it is distraction. Now here in Fullwood, uh, we don't face much in the way of physical opposition or persecution, certainly not compared to our brothers and sisters around the world. Uh, I think we do face uh, problems of greed, and it's true that we can be held back and deceived by greed. But I'd like to suggest to you this morning that actually the biggest danger facing us as a church family is the danger of 
distraction. So these few verses in Acts chapter 6 should be very helpful for us indeed. Because I think we'll see that Luke's purpose here is very simple. And uh, it's fairly easy to remember too, because you can sum it up using three words beginning with D. Uh, Luke wants us to be devoted uh, to what God is doing through the word and not distracted by division. Devoted to what God is doing through the word, not distracted by division. That is, when growth is put in jeopardy by a distracting division in the community, says Luke, keep devoted to what God is doing uh, by dealing with that distraction quickly and wisely. Keep your focus on God's words and you can be confident in its power to grow God's people. And we're going to look at that in three parts this morning, beginning of asking the question, well, when does this bite When does this account bite and what kind of situations is it relevant for us? And the answer to that is in verse 1 of chapter 6. This bites when growth is put in jeopardy by a distracting division. When growth is put in jeopardy by a distracting division. You can see that the context here is the context of church growth. From verse 1, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing... Uh, But you can also see that there's a problem in that. There's a threat to the growth. The Grecian or Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. Who were those two groups? Uh, Well, it does seem to be that that the Grecian or Hellenistic Jews were simply Jews who spoke Greek and the Hebrew Jews were simply Jews who spoke Aramaic. Uh, That does seem to be the the basic difference between them. We can't really say much more about them, whether one group was more conservative than the other, whether they had different theological emphases or anything else. They just spoke different languages. You might imagine something similar happening to here. Uh, Imagine that we had uh, many people in this church family with no uh, visible means of support at all, uh, no family, no state benefits, uh, no savings, no insurance schemes, no pensions, nothing like that. Uh, well, they would be rather like the, the, the widows here in verse 1, uh, needing support uh, from the church family. And then imagine that we had a, a sudden influx of uh, non-English speaking, uh, say, uh, Romanian families of that kind. And then imagine, as it might be quite possible, that the English-speaking needy people in the church family were being well provided for, but perhaps the Romanian-speaking people were not And then you'd have a situation very like that here in verse 1. Now, of course, this is a problem that has been caused by gospel growth. As the word of God calls people from every tongue and every class and background and later on every nation, people are drawn to live alongside in the same family, no less. People, they wouldn't, probably wouldn't even spoken wouldn't have even spoken to before it's a it's a strange thing in many ways but it is of course a wonderful thing that is what the gospel can do later on of course uh, the word is going to draw in gentiles to live alongside jews uh, as well as rich to live alongside poor even slaves to live alongside their masters uh, just this uh, last term, I had that, that very bizarre 
um, experience one week of, of going to, to lunch with uh, some very high-powered people in London. And, and then just two weeks later, uh, standing in a shack at the, the base of a slag heap in uh, Donetsk in the Ukraine, shaking hands with some ex-drug addicts there. And both groups, both in London and Donetsk, included my brothers and sisters. It was strange. It was strange, but also very wonderful. Nonetheless, this uh, uniting of very different people in one body also, of course, generates its fair share of tensions. And, And much of the teaching right across the New Testament is directed at sorting out those tensions. You can see here in in Acts 6 that the Greek-speaking Jews probably have something genuine to complain about. Uh, You don't fail to support people just because of the the, the language they speak. And if you do, it's it's a denial of the gospel, isn't it? It's a denial of the gospel unity, the the unity the gospel should bring about. Uh, So the problem ought to be dealt with in its own right. It's it's, it's serious. Uh, But actually, the bigger danger here Uh, The bigger danger, the bigger thing is the distraction that this division is causing. Look ahead with me at verse 2. It would not be right for the apostles in dealing with this issue to neglect the word of God. So what is this disunity doing? Uh, Well, it's doing this. It's turning the community from what it should be, which is an outward-looking community, Reaching out to the words, to the world, with the words, to the world. It's turning it from that outward-looking community into an inward-looking community, consumed by its own difficulties and tensions. You might remember one of those science experiments you did back at school, where, you know, the one where you boil a tin can uh, with water in it and then put a stopper in it and uh, watch the air pressure crush the can as it cools down. Uh, That is kind of what happens to a church riven with disunity. It becomes destroyed, it becomes crushed by implosive force rather than growing with the kind of explosive force that it should do uh, with the gospel. So let's, uh, let's think it through this morning. What are the ways in which disunity might turn us here in forward from being an explosive church to an implosive church? church or remember the the issue in Acts is is very much about partiality and favoritism in helping people who are desperately in need think about such people in our church family people who are ill perhaps or or recently bereaved or or lonely or or elderly uh, in need of care in one way or another and in those kinds of situations it is a wonderful thing and it does happen very frequently I know a wonderful thing when a meal gets taken round to someone in that situation. However, it's somewhat less wonderful when that act of charity is observed by someone in just as much need, but who then gets absolutely nothing and no attention at all. That kind of partiality and neglect can create deep wounds, and we do need to watch for that very carefully indeed. But in many ways, that's just one example. Disunity and complaint can be caused by all sorts of things. Suppose you're a a single person here this morning, and uh, perhaps you feel that single people in this church family are neglected 
at the expense of married people and families. Perhaps indeed you find Mother's Day so miserable each year that you always stay away that weekend. Perhaps you're a woman who feels that women's ministry is neglected here and that there are far too few women on the staff team. Perhaps you're a man who feels that the the whole feel of church is, is way too feminine, that all the emphasis goes in that direction. Perhaps you're one of the older people here and feel that your views and your wisdom are underappreciated by all the young upstarts who seem to be running things. Perhaps you're on a relatively low income and feel that Christchurch Forward is run by wealthy professionals because it's people like that who know how to influence things. Perhaps you're involved in a ministry area that seems to get very little outside support or recognition. You never get mentioned, you never get prayed for, you certainly never receive any thanks. Perhaps you're feeling left out right now because I failed to mention just now the kind of neglect that you are feeling in particular. Now, some of those grievances may have something to them. They may be genuine grievances, genuine problems. They need to be dealt with in their own right. Some of them may not. But all of them are dangerous, because all of them create disunity, potentially, And disunity leads to distraction. So that's the problem here. Disunity leading to distraction. What's the answer? We'll find that in verses two through to six. The answer is to keep devoted to what God is doing by dealing with that distraction quickly and wisely. That is, rather than be distracted by this division, be devoted to the words. How? By dealing with the distraction quickly and wisely and then getting on with the main thing that we should be doing. So let's look first at how the problem of division leading to distraction was solved back in Jerusalem, back in Acts chapter 6. And first of all, you can see that what the apostles do is to act very quickly to protect the task they've been given. Let me read from verse 2. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. So brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. Now remember the apostles Uh, have been given a very specific task by the Lord Jesus to testify to him. They have been with Jesus from the beginning, remember? They've been taught by him and they are eyewitnesses of his resurrection. So they take out that word of God that Jesus is risen and is both Lord and Christ. It would not be right, therefore, for them to be diverted from that commission that they've been given, to neglect the word of God. So rather than serve at tables, they should continue to serve the words. It's the same word in the uh, original, serve at table. Not serve at tables, but continue to serve the words. Remember, it's the word 
which many accepted on the day of Pentecost, and 3,000 were added to their number. It was this word that got the apostles put in jail and on trial and flogged, but which nonetheless added at least 2,000 more to their number at that time. And it's this word they've been praying about. Um, What the apostles say here in verse four more literally reads like this. But we will be devoted, busily devoted to the prayer and to the serving of the word. In other words, those are not two separate things that they're praying for the word and serving the word. They're connected together. The apostles are going to be both praying for the word and serving it out. Remember that was true back in chapter four as they prayed where the whole people were led to pray for boldness in what? In speaking the word. Makes sense, doesn't it? If proclaiming the word about Jesus is the main thing that God is doing at this time in history and, and it is, then of course there's a priority to pray for that. Indeed, that's quite a good way of summing up what the apostles are protecting here. They're making sure the main thing they are doing is perfectly aligned with the main thing God is doing. They're making sure the main thing is the main thing. How do they do that? Well, they, you can see here, they delegate to the disciples as a whole the task of choosing seven men to deal with this division. Look at verse three. First, uh, brothers, they say, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom we will turn this responsibility over to them. And from verse five, see how that uh, proposal was received. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. What are these men to do? Well, they are to serve at tables so that the apostles can continue to serve the word. What kind of men are they? Well, firstly, their names suggest uh, rather that most of them at least would have been Greek speaking and and one of them, a a convert from Judaism, you can see. Seems to be working out our wise principle here. If a group complains, especially if they've got a legitimate complaint, Get them involved in service to solve the problem. We can see also that these are to be men, verse three, full of the spirit and of wisdom. Uh, Like Stephen, for example, who is verse five, full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. To be full of the spirit in the book of Acts is to be so well aligned with what God is doing uh, that their will has been drawn into line with his will. Uh, as their minds have been transformed by his words. What's more, these are men who have the wisdom to do the very delicate tasks that they've been given to do. But perhaps most importantly of all, they know why they're doing it. They're doing it to assist in the serving of the word. And it's a, a a striking thing happens, interestingly, in the next two chapters of the book of Acts. Uh, where we find that both Stephen and Philip from this list become more directly involved in the serving of the word. Stephen preaches the word at great length at his trial. 
Philip goes out and preaches the word in Samaria. In other words, these are men who in all circumstances and face of all kinds of opportunity are making sure the main thing is the main thing. The main thing God is doing, proclaiming the word in the world, is the main thing they are doing and assisting too. So how does all this help us here in Fullwood? Well, we do need to be careful, of course. We're not in the apostolic age. The church leaders are here. We do not have quite the same commission as the apostles. We've already seen Additionally to that, uh, that we're affected by different kinds of disunity and distraction uh, to those that we find in Acts chapter 6. But we should expect the basic principle to be the same. The main thing God is doing is still, in our time too, proclaiming the truth about Jesus. The main exhortation to an elder in a New Testament church remains, as Paul said to Timothy, This is in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Preach the word. Now we know that uh, preaching the word is a a wider and more general activity than than the kind of Sunday preaching that I'm doing right now. But it must include that, surely. An experience shows that when the main preaching activity of a church is weak or, or neglected, the ministry of the word more generally in that church will tend to suffer too. That's a reminder to myself to make sure I put aside enough time to prepare prayerfully uh, for giving a sermon like this one. That's a reminder to you to do all you can to help me to do that. I find that a sermon takes me between 12 and 15 hours to prepare, which is sometimes quite hard to find in a busy week. Um, Other preachers will be different to that, perhaps, but I would uh, be surprised if the time was any less. So that's one thing, and that is central perhaps, but we do need to remember that this is not just about giving sermons. Word ministry is is wider than giving sermons, and we're all involved in it in one way or another. The key thing then is to make sure that word ministry is the priority, that we do have enough time to speak the truth to one another, that we do have enough time to speak the truth to the desperately needy world all around us. So then how do we keep ourselves from being distracted from that? Well, on the one hand, it does seem to mean a leadership who are quick to act to get rid of distraction. I think one of the striking things here in Acts 6 is just how quickly the apostles act. They act with no hesitation at all, taking full responsibility for making sure the potential distraction is dealt with. Uh, My temptation, I'll admit, is to to hope that difficulties and distractions will go away. I'm learning uh, rather late in life uh, that they don't. It's especially hard when when the problem seems unimportant on the surface. Closer inspection may show that it's not. Anyway, whatever it is, whatever it is, it still needs to be dealt with and dealt with quickly. Quickly. So on the one hand, we've got a leadership quick to act. On the other, we need a church family willing to respond. Uh, Another striking thing here in Acts 6 is the apostles, uh, I don't know if you notice this, don't actually choose the seven. They act quickly, but there's a lot of delegation going on here. 
Now, they even delegate the, the part of choosing the seven, choosing these men. Otherwise, there's, there's no hint here in Acts of a model of a church where there are just a few, so to speak, professionals who do everything and run around while everyone else just sort of sits and watches. I am a servant uh, in this church family, uh, but so are all of you. It's right and proper, for example, that the practical pastoral care in this church family is not done just by a few people, but it's spread widely. It works through the small group system. It's the responsibility of us all. I hope you can see from Acts chapter 6 that that is the right way of doing things. That is the biblical way of doing things. And if we want to deal with division within the church, uh, well, this is giving us quite a few pointers, isn't isn't it? We can take any potentially disaffected group in this church family. And what we're looking for is men and women in that group capable of dealing with that distraction and division. Men or women full of the Holy Spirit and uh, with the wisdom to turn the energy that is expressed in complaint into energy expressed in finding a solution. And then all working together by the power of the Spirit, uh, we can all be making sure that the main thing God is doing remains the main thing we are doing. Let me draw things to a close. Summarise what Luke is telling us. That when the growth of the church is put in jeopardy by distracting division, well, we need to keep devoted to what God is doing by dealing with it quickly and wisely. Keep your focus on God's word and you can finally, verse seven, be confident in the power of the word to grow God's people. Confident in the power of the word to grow God's people. And you can see there that with the danger averted, the growth resumes and continues, even strengthens and deepens. <coughs> so the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests even became obedient to the faith. It's a striking detail, isn't it, there in verse 7, that a number of, large number of priests become obedient to the faith. That is, the word of God is growing both numerically and in its penetration, the priests being right at the heart of the old way of relating to God before Jesus. Perhaps these priests have been struck by the care the disciples of Jesus have taken for the needy in their midst, a love and care that proved elusive for God's people in the past. And now we can see that it, as even they, the priests, are being persuaded, things are really happening. Change is really happening. Something amazing is happening in the world. Indeed, it may well have been this, uh, the priests being converted that provoked the severe persecution that comes later in the chapter as the opponents of Jesus act desperately to limit the damage. But this is helpful for us too because it means that if we're making the main thing the main thing, praying for the word and serving the word, uh, serving it up to one another and to the world around us, if we're doing that, then we too can be confident You see, even if our numbers uh, don't increase at this kind of mind-bending rate that that, that they do in these early chapters of Acts, we can nonetheless be sure that God is still at work. God's word will be at work one way or another. 
And uh, if not in growing numbers, although we pray that it will, then growing in depth and penetration, growing in God's people, hope and love and faith. God's word always works when it is served up faithfully and with prayer. So then this uh, Christmas time, please do drive carefully. I wonder if you knew that in the, in the two seconds that it takes for you to check a text while you are driving, you will have travelled perhaps 30 metres along the road. What will you have missed seeing uh, in that time or in that distance? A child on a bike, uh, perhaps? Uh, another car changing lanes? Uh, an obstacle in the road? Because of a distraction like that, you could kill someone. You could kill yourself. You could kill your passengers. Perhaps you're doing it because you've got away with it in the past. Or is that really a good reason to look at that text? But I hope we've seen this morning that distractions are perhaps even more deadly in the Christian life and in Christian ministry. I suspect that they've killed off more churches in this country than uh, persecution and uh, sexual immorality or greed. All those things put together. Distraction has been the biggest killer. So let's not let distraction kill off this church family. Let's instead be devoted to what God is doing through the word. Not distracted by division along the way. And so let's deal with those distractions quickly and wisely so that we can keep the main thing God is doing, the main thing we are doing. In other words, let's keep the main thing, the main thing. Well, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, uh, we do want to confess, uh, first of all, just how easily we are distracted and how easily we allow divisions to arise within our midst and uh, those divisions then cause uh, difficulties later down the line. So we pray with thanks for being reminded about uh, the priority that we should give to what uh, the main thing that you are doing in the world, that is the proclamation of the word of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So please help us to have the willingness to serve, uh, the willingness uh, to act quickly and wisely uh, to deal with those distractions and help us to keep the main thing that you are doing, the main thing we are doing. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.